information for you for you coming uh, for that. Well, would you turn your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, please? And we're actually going to begin in, in chapter 3 to the, get the context here. But Ephesians <coughs> 4, verses 7 through 11 will be our text of focus this morning. I'm going to read a little bit earlier in Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this cause, everything that he has spoken about in chapters 1 through 3, about what God has provided for his church. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended, first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we hereafter be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love." We looked last week at the sevenfold unity that God's provided that is indissolvable. It is eternal. It can never be taken away. That God has provided for every single believer. That no matter where your disagreements are, this is what bonds you together. And this is the key. This is the tuning for, for everything that God has placed you in. And He has brought a call to unity in these verses. And you saw it in chapter 4 and verse uh, 3 there, endeavoring, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And now he's going to say, have unity, but not uniformity. You see, your unity is enriched by different kinds of gifts. And there's a contrast, you'll notice, between verse 6 and 7. Look at verse 6 again. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then verse 7, but. There's a contrast. Verse 6 speaks of God as the Father of us all, who is above all, who is through all and in all. And verse 7, however, begins, but grace was given to each of us. And so Paul turns from the all of us now to each of us here. And so he moves from the unity of the church and shows how there is also a diversity of gifts in the church. And what he is doing is actually qualifying, proving what he has just written about the church's unity. There is one body, one faith, one family. But this unity is not to be blurred and, and be a lifeless or colorless uniformity. We're not to imagine that every Christian is a replica of each other. God could have done that, couldn't he? He chose not to do that because the fact that we are different displays the wisdom of God and how he brings different people together at the cross. And we, uh, we are not to imagine every Christian is an exact replica. We're not, we haven't been mass-produced in some kind of heavenly factory. That's right. On the contrary, the church, far from being boringly monotonous with us as individuals, is very exciting in how different people are. And this isn't just because of our different cultures and generations and temperaments and personalities, which that's true, but that's not Paul's point here. But because of the different gifts that Christ distributes that enriches this unity or common life together. And so, Paul will say, in essence here, that every believer has a way to build up the church. There are no exemptions. There are no exceptions. Every believer, if you're saved and the Spirit of God is upon you, which the Scripture says when you believe, God poured out His Spirit upon you. You have a way. You do have a way that builds up the church. None of us has it all together. There are gifts that you and I are lacking. There are gifts that other people have that supply and make up that balance. None of us has it all put together, but together we have fullness when, he says later on in chapter 4, when each is doing its part. And it's not a competition. The Corinthians had to learn that. They thought it was a competition. They were doing it for themselves rather than building up others. You can think of it like this. A symphony conductor selects violinists to play in his symphony. Why does he do it? He does not do it to advance their individual careers. That is not why he chooses a violinist, but to make sure that the symphony will be rightly balanced and harmonized. That's why he does it, to contribute to the greater good here. And our spiritual gifts are not for self-advancement. You see, 
because we still have that old nature in us, not completely eradicated, declared to be dead at the cross and the victory of Christ, but he still fights in his death throes, right? Because we have that, even our spiritual gifts can be tainted, can't they? That's the way we use them. There's a whole book about that. I shared it already, 1 Corinthians. And one of the things we might do, that we might be tempted to do, is look at the world only through our gifts and compare people according to our particular gifts. Instead of looking at my particular gift that God has given me and said, I'm supposed to use this for the common good. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with other people. That is unwise. And our spiritual gifts are not for self-advancement, but for the health and building up the body for God's glory. Uh, yesterday, um, I, I, I got my pile of, of, of cordwood here, uh, tree-length cordwood, that will hopefully last me in the next couple years here. And after that's cut and split, and however many times it's supposed to warm you before you actually put it in the fire, right? Um, when it is in the fire, uh, in the wood stove, I light a fire, and I do not light a fire ultimately to warm the stove, do I? Now, as I light that fire, it will warm the stove, won't it? But why do I light that fire? I light that fire to warm the room, to warm the house. And friends, God gave you a gift not to warm your individual stove, but so that through you, as the stove, that through you, it would build the community of the church of God for the glory of God in the world. So every believer has a way to build up the church. Look again in verse, six, uh, verse 7. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Notice he's in charge. You didn't choose your gift. You might not like your gift. That's a problem with the heart, not with the Lord. God gave you a gift to build up the church. It's through the measure of the gift of Christ. And notice he says, to every one of us is given grace. Grace. You understand that when you were saved, you were saved from hell. You were saved to God. And God gave you so many spiritual blessings that he talks about in Ephesians 1 through 3 and other places. But one of the things he gave you, one of the blessings he gave you, was a gift. A spiritual gift. Some of you might be wondering, well, what is a spiritual gift? And I'm going to talk about that here in a couple points here. But uh, the point of it is this. That it is an undeserved, God has given you through, his, uh, through an undeserved kindness a free gift. A free gift. And it's incomplete, however, to say that God gave you a gift. The completeness is, he gave a gift to the church through you. There's a difference. He didn't just give you a gift. He gave a gift to the church through you to be used for the church. Think about in Acts chapter 1, when um, the writer of Acts, Luke, says... The things I, I, I wrote before, uh, uh, another volume, an earlier volume, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And he's writing, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke that I wrote. <clears throat> and then, uh, for the first 11 verses, he talks about um, the Lord Jesus being there with the disciples before he's ascended. And do you know that really, at that point on, the Lord Jesus physical presence uh, as he ascends is not there in the rest of the book besides appearing um, to Paul a couple of times 
the rest of the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. But I want you to think about this. How did Jesus continue to do and teach everything that he began to do and teach in the book of Luke? How did he continue to do that in the book of Acts? The church. Your people. The people of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, becomes the incarnation of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Though Jesus came and incarnated himself on this earth as the God-man and then ascended, he sent his spirit, didn't he? And the Spirit is incarnating Jesus through his body, doing and teaching word and deed. And this is how he does it. Through us using our gifts for the good of the church. God has given a gift to the church through you. And every believer has, therefore, a way to build up the church. But what are we doing with Right? What are we doing with Our friend... Uh, about five years ago, the tourism office officer in the Philippines uh, found a family treasure, a 75-pound pearl. The officer, Eileen Cynthia McGay, received the pearl from a relative when he was moving. He had found the pearl inside of a giant clam. You know those clams that you always heard about when your kids not to get too close to them grab it, right? Uh, and he, 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 he was fishing, and he kept it as a good luck charm. That pearl stayed under his bed for 10 years. Now it's on display in the local city hall. The measures more than 2 feet long and 1 foot wide. It could potentially be the largest natural pearl ever found in a giant clam. It kind of makes you wonder what other treasures people might be hiding under their beds, right? Or in their closets or in their attics. Friends, God has given you a treasure. And it cannot be hidden. It must be be used? What are the gifts that you might have that you could be sharing with the world but you've, you've, you've kept hidden? Well, there are three lists in the New Testament. There's a list in 1 Corinthians 12, probably the most familiar. There's a list in Romans 12, and there is a list in 1 Peter 4.10 and Peter boils it down into two categories. Doing and speaking gifts. Okay, Word and deed. And a, and a spiritual gift is a specific capacity or a function given to us directly by the Spirit of God. It's different. It is not the same as a natural ability that you may have had even before you were saved. It is not something that I manufacture. It is something that God implanted in us by the Spirit Himself to give us the spiritual ability to accomplish His will. And that should do two things to you, to your soul. That should elevate you in joy. That God has given you a purpose. In a world without purpose. Wandering, looking for purpose. And secondly, that should humble you. That should humble you. That God is going to use you to build up his church. I'd like you to go to 1 Corinthians 12 here to look at a couple things about spiritual gifts. And this is a whole chapter study you could do on your own. But I'd like you to look at a few verses. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. Paul begins in verse 1 saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, even as you were led. And God saved them. He says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. 
and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but is the same God which works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man the prophet with all provide. Here's what Paul is saying. God has given each of us a ministry, a service, and a certain sphere to build up his church. And he's done that through a spiritual gift, a specific capacity or function given us directly by the Spirit of God to accomplish God's will. That's a spiritual gift, okay? But he also says here, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. That word, uh, administrations, he means a variety of ministries. A variety of ministries. There might be a, a, all kinds of different gifts. And some people could have the same gift, and they could have different ministries. Different ministries, different ways they will serve. The idea of ministry here, service, means that God has given you a certain sphere, a certain uh, place of influence to build up his church. Even if you have the same gift as someone else, you may have a different sphere of ministry. Think about Peter and Paul, both very gifted preachers. But Peter's uh, bold preaching at Pentecost and other places and Cornelius, and Paul's in the synagogues, etc. here. But Peter was called to minister to whom? He's the apostle to the, to, the, to the Jews, right? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Very similar gifts here. Uh, obviously not identical to each other. Uh, but a different sphere of ministry. But he also, uh, he doesn't just say there's different administrations, different ministries, but the same one. He says there are diversities there are varieties of operations. Of operations. That word operations is the, is the idea of workings. Workings. That people's, people may have, let's say there's, there's, there's two people with the same gift. <clears throat> say it's a, a, the gift of helps here. And they use those gifts in different ways. Okay, so they have different spheres of ministry. And they're impacting and, and building up other people. Different people. Um, but you also notice that one person seems to have a greater impact with their particular gift. Well, there's a couple reasons that may be. One, it may be because the other person isn't as diligent with their gift. That's a possibility. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that he had in them. The other possibility may be what Scripture says. God has put a limit to each of our gifts, to each of our capacities. And so that word there of operations means workings or energizes. It means this. The degree of power that Father God uses a gift in a sphere of ministry. Some people have bigger platforms and different uh, varieties of, of influence. That's up to the Lord. A lot of that is up to the Lord. Um, you might notice that sometimes when you have used your gift, uh, you may have had a, a, a certain result, and other times you have used the same gift and the same depends on the Lord, and you may have had a different result. The Lord may have provided a different result for that. It doesn't produce the same result each time, because it is up to God and His purposes. That's what Paul is saying. 
There are differences of services, spheres of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, power in that gift. But it is the same God which works all in all. So what I want you to understand is this. No matter what, every believer has a way to build up the church. No one is exempt. No one. But look what else he says in verse 8. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Wherefore, so now he's going to ground what he said in verse 7 in something. Wherefore, wherefore he says, that's a big clue that he's quoting scripture here. And here Old Testament scripture, as I mentioned from Psalm 68 earlier this morning. Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He's quoting from Psalm 68:18 that we read this morning. And then he's going to comment here about the ascending and descending here to make a point about Jesus Ascension. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? There's a little debate about what that means. Uh, either that some, some refer to that as Jesus' uh, incarnation, coming down to earth, Philippians 2. He left the glories of heaven and came to earth. Some have interpreted it a little bit deeper to mean that they refer to Jesus' burial. Some have interpreted it to another layer of depth here to refer to when Jesus preached to the spirits in prison in 1 Peter chapter 3 or 4 there. Regardless, I want to understand that it was part of Jesus' process here of humbling himself so that he could be exalted. And I'd like you to see what he says next. He that descended is the same also that ascended up if he descended, there was a need for Jesus to be raised and be victorious. He ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Here's his point. Here's Paul's point, quoting from a psalm from the Old Testament, which that would not cross my mind to prove that Jesus gave gifts. But here's what he does. Here's why he's doing it. Building up the church's mission displays the glory of Christ. When you have given your gift that God has given you for the good and glory of the church, and you build up the church's mission, what you are declaring to your brothers and sisters and to the world is that Jesus is victorious. And the proof of that is Him working through you as one individual to be joined to a body for the good of others. And so in this original context of Psalm 68, it's a call of God to come and rescue his people. He is to be praised for his past acts of deliverance and provision for his people. After the exodus, he triumphed before them. And Mount Sinai shook as he gave them his law and the constitution for Israel. Kings were scattered. The Lord desired Mount Zion, Jerusalem, as his dwelling. And so he came from Sinai to his holy place, and he ascended the high mountain, leading captives in his train. This is important, because Paul is anchoring this promise of grace gifts in this quote here. Yahweh, divine warrior. Our God is a warrior. He is descending from Mount Sinai. He is striding across the earth, winning victory after victory for his people. 
He ascends Mount Zion. He is surrounded by an entourage of the heavenly host to establish his throne room, his temple there. And that's the prayer of this psalm, that the power of God to be exercised again, once again to deliver his people. So the divine warrior, he's, a, he's ascended the heights of Mount Zion. He's won the victory. He ascends to this, to this throne that he has captured here on Zion. He receives the glory, the accolades of his grateful people. And he takes captives from the opposing armies. And these captured armies from the evil one are pictured bound and marching behind the victory chariot of Yahweh as it proceeds up Mount Zion. And then that line says, the conquering Lord received gifts from a grateful Israel here. In the Exodus, the establishment of the temple. God, the warrior, was the Savior, Redeemer of his people. The one worthy of worship. And here's what Paul is saying. is this. That these themes and that psalm are part of Paul's message in Ephesians 4. Because Jesus Christ is the Yahweh, the divine warrior. He has won the victory. He has returned to his grateful people, the new people of the church, the one new man, Ephesians 2 and 3, to establish his throne among them, and he has distributed gifts in his kindness here. He has given gifts to his people. Gifts to his people. And so what that tells us is this, that when we build up the church's mission through the gifts that God has given us to use on behalf of others, Shows the victory of Christ. You say, but my gifts just... It shows the victory of Christ. Amen. But my gift isn't as good. It shows the victory of Jesus. Displays the wisdom of God in the church. And then thirdly and finally, notice what he says in that phrase there. He set it up far above all heavens that he might what? Fill all things. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians, you've heard that phrase before. In fact, let me take you back to the very first chapter where he shows that the theme of Ephesians is all things being put under Jesus' feet, the victorious one. And in chapter 1 and verse 23, after that prayer that he gave for the Ephesians' eyes being uh, enlightened, understanding the hope of his calling, the greatness of his power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Above all things, he says this in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now, skip over to chapter 3 and see this in his prayer again. Verse 19, Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you, all, us, might be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's not like Jesus fills all in all separate from us here. The point in Ephesians 4 is that he fills the earth with his glory through the church exercising their gifts for his good and his glory. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask for thing, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. 
And so for Paul to say that this, this victory march here of Jesus through his church, that he did this, that he might fill all things, is to say this. That he fills the earth with the glory of his presence through his body. As his body shows his rule as the victorious king. What better way to show that Jesus reigns than using your gifts as subjects of his kingdom for his kingdom? And so the third point is this. When we serve according to our gifts, Jesus uses that to grow his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom grows. You might say, wow, all this about gifts. Okay, I think I, I think I start to get what a gift is, or is reminded again what a gift is, but I really don't know my gift. Let me give you some suggestions here. The Bible doesn't tell you to know your gift. It does tell you this, to grow and conform to the image of Christ. And as you pursue that tip of the Spirit, as that becomes the thing that you pursue, to know God and to serve Jesus in His church and through His church, Jesus is the one who perfectly had all the gifts, didn't he? He was the fullness of all the gifts. And as you grow in maturity, you will serve more and more according to your particular gift for the good of others. It will happen. God will work through you. Here's some practical illustrations, uh, situations here, suggestions uh, for uh, serving more and more according to your gifts. Here. So obviously the main point is to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Another way, you, another aspect of growing in your gifts is to study those particular lists I gave you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Study those lists, those gifts, and ask yourself, are there particular gifts that you, that grab you or you're drawn towards? That's not doesn't give you a perfect answer to the question, but it gives you might give you a clue. And then begin to find avenues of obedient service. Take note of the ways that God is developing you and growing confidence in the Lord as He uses you. Because here's the deal. Nobody discovers their gifts by not doing anything. It's hard to steer a parked car, right? The Bible, the Bible says about Eliezer, who was a, a servant of Abraham, who was a fine, um, Abraham's son, a wife. He said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. Find avenues of obedient service. It might not be the thing that you naturally gravitate toward, but that'll show you what your gift isn't. Right? Find avenues of obedient service. And then thirdly, Ask trusted Christian friends to observe your life and comment on what things they notice related to gifts. Sometimes other people can see our gifts better than we can. We can be like fish in the water. We don't even know we're in the water. This is just what it is, right? Having people speak into your life will not happen if you live in isolation from the church body throughout the week. But I can assure you, the more you're interacting with the body of Jesus Christ in and past our services on Sunday, this will happen in close, what the Bible says, koinonia, community fellowship with one another. 
It's a great opportunity to do this through your deacon groups. Find ways to serve. There are several ways um, mentioned um, this morning uh, for, for opportunities for service, serving for the good of others. Uh, some of you might be particularly uh, gifted in those particular ways. Uh, regardless, um, as you grow in maturity in Jesus Christ, you're going to serve more and more according to your gifts for the good of others, for the building up of Jesus' church. So in conclusion, I want you to remember these three things. Every believer has a way to build up the church. No one is exempt. We need your gift. Build together according to our gifts. Verse 8. Building up the church's mission displays the victory of Christ together. It's stunning to the world that sees people from all kinds of backgrounds and ages and generations working together for a common mission. Putting themselves under serving others. Show the world as you serve according to your gifts Christ's triumph over sin and death and the resurrected life. And then thirdly, when we serve according to our gifts, verse 10 says that he might fill all things. Jesus' kingdom grows. And so together we're to engage in partnering with Jesus so that he fills the earth with his glory through his body. Paul says later on in verse 13, till we all come. So there's progress, right? So we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the what? Fullness of Christ. Verse 10 says that he might fill all things. Verse 15 says this happens as we speak the truth in love. We grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Verse 16 says the whole body fitly joined together and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the effective working and the measure of every part makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. When the Bible says you're a part, there's a couple things that teaches us, doesn't it? Number one, that you and I as individuals are not the whole. It's about a community, the greater good. But number two, we are a part, right? We're a part of that. And God uses all the parts working together to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. So everyone has a way to build up the church. Displays the victory of Christ when you use your gifts for the mission of the church. And when we serve according to our gifts, Jesus' kingdom grows. Growth happens. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I believe it's every believer's heart to see your kingdom grow, see your influence spread, to see your fame and your renown go to every island from shore to shore. And your glory filled this earth. Lord, certainly we look forward to the day when you return and you do that fully. But Lord, in the meantime, we're to be working. 
We're to be occupying the kingdom. We're to be doing, transacting your business here and engaging as good stewards of what you've given us. Lord, you've been so good to us through this grace. And I pray that you would accomplish so much more as we look ahead to surrendered lives. Take our hands, our feet, our lips. Take our resources and use them to build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm a couple